Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Welcome to the show, the voice of awesomeness, Mick Winger. Hello. Hi, how, Mick. How are you, my friend? Oh my God, I'm so good. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I don't think we've ever actually done an interview together. Not you, you and I, no. Yeah. No, I'm super excited about this. It's funny because you were saying like you knew the show like way back, like the, you know, there's been several different incarnations of this show, but you know, are we talking about the 2009 embarrassing version? <laughs> there wasn't one earlier than that, was there? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I definitely remember you know, you were interviewing animators and and show creators and stuff with the Alice in Wonderland, Alice's Wonderland brand for right. sure. So that little cheeky little yes. icon. Yeah. Oh, it was super cute though. Oh, thank and a you. great idea. Yeah, catalyst of something for sure. It would have been great if I, you know, continued with it. But here we are now. Here we are. And we're not bored of it yet. That's so, right. Yeah. That's so good. I've known you. When did we first meet? I want to say it was at a voiceover mixer thrown uh, by uh Oh, gosh, this will take me back. Thrown by Voices.com. Uh, but oh. that was like in 2012, 2011? Oh, really? No, it was no, earlier it was than before that. that. It, was it was probably 2008. That. 2008, yeah. Because I remember even you were, you're as well as an amazing voice actor. You're also a voice acting coach. That's right. And you would do workshops. You had done one with Meredith Lane. Yeah. Who I finally got to work with this year. Yes. On it's I love Meredith. Yeah. She's great. Oh my God. She's so good. She's, She's spot on. Incredible experience working with yes. her. I felt very, very lucky. But yeah, I remember I would take workshops with you over yes. at your studio in Burbank. And believe it or not, if you remember back in the day, we actually took a workshop together with Andrea Romano back oh when she gosh. was still teaching guest stuff. It was one of the first Voice Actors Networks events. Uh-huh. And it was supposed to be like limited to 12 people, but there were 19 of us there because we all wanted to work with Andrea. Yeah, and they can't leave me out. Right? <laughs> Please. But yeah, we actually, I, I wouldn't have gone to that had you not like gone, let's go to this together. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so. Just texting you on my flip phone. It was. It was, I think it was a Blackberry. A Blackberry. My Palm Pilot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, super inspiring thing that I learned about you was that you didn't actually move to Los Angeles until you were 30. That's correct. Wow. So I think oh, there's a misconception that you have to move here when you're, you know, in your 20s or yeah. right out of college or grow up here to really sure. have an amazing career. And you have built an amazing career you. through, you know talent and luck sure and perseverance and charm. charming good looks it's all of it's all charm you Be see. beauty <laughs> extravagant <laughs> beauty but so did you when you moved to Los Angeles were you planning a career in voice acting um what's interesting is and I I, I have to pay homage to your your research that you've accumulated for this interview I <laughs> actually did come down to be involved in Christian ministry of some kind I didn't know how or where but I had read this book called Roaring Lambs by Bob Reiner, which mm -hmm. was published, I want to say like in 1998. I was just out of college. I was working as a copywriter in the Central Valley of California, which is like ag country. Some, I mean, some big cities. I was in Fresno, which is 500,000 people That's or it. more. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a pretty sizable city, but in terms of California and the cultural landscape, it was kind of nowheresville, mm -hmm. at least in terms of influence. And this book that Bob wrote called Roaring Lambs, the whole conceit of the book was if you've got gifts in, you know, in things that shape culture, get out there and use them mm. rather than just seeing a mission field per se as, you know, going to some remote 
tribe in a third world country, mm. go use the gifts that you have been given to go do this. And so I thought, yeah, I'll go do that. And, and what I'll do in order to make some money to, you know, pay the bills for any evangelicals out there watching, you might recognize the phrase tent making. What I would do for tent making would be <laughs> some voiceover work. Cause I wasn't that great of an actor, but I knew it was, I was really good at showmanship. So I thought cartoon voices, <laughs> why wouldn't I do that? I don't have to be a real actor to do that. Mm -hmm. As soon as I hit the ground and studied with Pat Fraley for a workshop or two and took my first voiceover class with Dolores Deal. Oh, Dolores. God bless her heart. Rest in peace, Dolores. She was amazing and super fun. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I took those and I realized how much skill was involved mm -hmm. and whether or not I really wanted to do this, I kind of fell in love with it. Yeah. I fell in love with that primarily. And and as I matured, I mean, I, I came down at 30, but, you know, like many of like many of us in, in this industry, we're all kind of just big kids. And so <laughs> that, that maturity curve might have extended a little long for me. So as I was maturing, even at 30, I started thinking, you know, I think regardless of quote unquote ministry, this is what I'm crafted to do. I mean, this is just a gift set that I have. So I'm going to lean into this because I love it. Yeah. I love it more than anything else. And I was willing to build a lifestyle around it. And that's what it takes. So, yeah. And so that was 2004 that you moved to mm -hmm. Los Angeles? 2004. And what was your very first voice acting job? Oh my gosh. Um, locally or ever? Um, oh, both. Ooh. Tell us. My very first voice acting job was in the Central Valley because I was doing community theater at the time. I got pulled in to be guy number two in a Levi's jeans commercial for the local department store chain. So this was... I knew you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Guy number two. Guy number two. again. <laughs> As I'm sure you know, I'm friends with James Arnold Taylor. And back in the very, very early days when I first got to town, we were talking about putting together a demo of just guy two stuff. Guy number two. And that was that would be the name of the demo. Mick Wingert, guy number two. And it was like me saying things like, really, I've heard about Honda or mm, I'm in Papa John's, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Just all the little ancillary radio commercial lines that guy number two would have, because you see that guy all the time. And how fun would it be just to have a demo of just that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that it, we re-recorded some stuff, but girl it never came Girl number three over here. Girl number three. Office girl number three. <laughs> Hand me the last slice of Papa John's. That's right. <laughs> here you go. That's great. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, I don't, nothing really ever came of that, but we had some really fun times in the studio coming up with guy number two lines. Interesting. And so funny story about James Arnold Taylor. He actually yeah. uh, is part of the lore of how you became the television version of Kung Fu Panda. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tell us that story. So James was auditioning. The way he told it to me was he was auditioning for the video game that was coming out simultaneously with the first feature. That was like 2008. And he knew the casting director pretty well, Margaret Tang from Womb Music, and mm -hmm. would love her. And he said to Margaret, he said, look, I do a lot of voice match. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of characters in my uh, my arsenal, but you know, <laughs> that's my dime store, James Arnold Taylor. <laughs> but Jack Black just isn't one of them. You know who you should call is Mick Wingert's agent. You call his agent. He's over at Tisherman right now. And lo and behold, I got a call from my agent at TGMD, which was uh, yep. what Tisherman became. Were we both there? Yes. Yeah, we were both <laughs> that's, there. That's probably how we knew like, each other. Yes, there it uh -huh. is. They came, they called me and said, DreamWorks wants to hear you on this on Monday for an in-person audition with one of the directors of the feature film. And here's a 30-second sample of some of Jack's lines from the feature and match these and mm -hmm. go. And I did not have a Jack Black impression at the time. So, <gasps> so you had weekend plans. <laughs> yes, I did. Because <laughs> the call came in on Thursday. And so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I pulled my hair out trying to figure out how 
Jack and I sound, how to impersonate him. And it's actually harder to impersonate someone that you sound like naturally. Is that true? Yes. Wow. It is because it's, well, at least for me. I can't speak to everyone's experience, mm -hmm. but for me, it's really easy to go into the large over the top, you know, party favorite impressions, mm. right? You go to something like a, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's all about that accent, right? And you do you have to make, you know, your voice go a little lower, of course, but it's about like the round tones that you get and this and that. And then, you know, you have to have the, the, the right articulation and things of that nature. But it's really easy, <laughs> like, because it's so not me that I know what to do to put that on. Uh huh. Well, you get somebody that sounds like me and I'm like, I don't know know where I, my voice and my, my sound stops and Jack's begins. Mm. And I was equated, my younger son is a rock climber. So I was a create, a, oh. equated to climbing a rock, like a mountain or a rock wall where the Schwarzeneggers, the Jack Nicholson's, that kind of thing, all the, <laughs> the Christopher Walken's, those guys, they have these huge like handholds to get up the wall. Yeah. But when you're dealing with a guy that sounds just like you, yeah. you're dealing with like little tiny, what my son would call crimps. You're dealing with like little crimpy spaces is that you're trying to get up this wall and you don't know, you don't know how to master this impression because it's so close to who you are. So for me, it it was a, a movie called Margot at the Wedding, which was not a movie I particularly enjoyed, but it was an indie film. Mm -hmm. It was studio indie, I think. And Jack <laughs> was in it playing his typical archetype, but he was a secondary player to, uh, oh my gosh, what was it? Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman okay. was Nicole Kidman's movie. And he basically played like the lovable schlub who's marrying Nicole Kidman's character's sister. And he drives up to pick up Nicole Kidman and her son, her 13 year old son from the ferry at the wharf. And he like leans over. He's driving this Volvo, beat up Volvo. And he goes, are you Margot? And I noticed that he had this slight underbite uh, in that moment. Mm -hmm. Now, I can honestly say now that I've met Jack that just happened recently, 14 we'll years there. later. We'll go, uh, we'll go there. But I don't think he speaks with an underbite at all. Uh -huh. But in that moment, that was enough for me to go, oh, that might be a handhold that separates me from him. Mm -hmm. Like if he does this, that automatically puts me in a different articulation space from mm. Jack. And that started to be the way that I grabbed onto it. So if you play the Kung Fu Panda video game from 2008 uh -huh. or PlayStation 2 or Xbox 360, you will hear the world's worst Jack Black impression. I guess it's the best worst Jack Black because I booked the game. Got you the job. I got the job. <laughs> but it's, it's all me just doing basically this and letting that, you know, kind of guide lead. And from there, as I refined over the years, now I can just like go into it. There's no underbite at all. It's all about, I finally discovered that what makes his mm. voice different from mine is the way we articulate our words. I form my words very much akin to where I a grew theater up and, kid. and a yeah. theater kid in the central Valley. And mm. he's very much, you know, Southern California yeah. born and bred guy. And so his articulation is just way different. Surfery. Than very so. surfery. It's kind of like, you know, he does his little thing where he goes like really specific, but he also like, but that's a bit. And so then you learn how to do the bits and then it all comes together. Amazing. You yeah. broke that down in such a clear and concise way. Thank so you. you mentioned that you finally, after 14 years, got to meet Jack Black. What yes. was that like? It was intimidating. I gotta say, and you know, uh, I posted, you can see them at, at Mick Wingard on Twitter or at Mick Wingard on Instagram. I posted photos of mm -hmm. that encounter and you know, for Jack, it was just Tuesday or yeah. Wednesday. But for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doubling this guy and living in his shadow and always like chomping at his heels, like for 14 years and I'm finally meeting the dude and he was super gracious and he was very complimentary, but we really only got a ch chance to chat for like a minute or two. Cause it was at a screening event for a show that we were both involved in, mm -hmm. in our own rights that was Panda related. And, you know, I came over, shook his hand. He gave me that, yes, that 
Jack Black smile, like, oh man, it's good to see you, kind of a thing. And then he, you know, there were so many other cast and crew that wanted to meet Jack and take photos with Jack and that kind of thing. So he was doing his very gracious celebrity bit and making sure that everybody got some time and attention and got to take their selfies to show their kids and that kind of thing. Amazing. Um, but it was a really cool experience in terms of just being able to take a photo with him to kind of get his seal of approval. And did you have to give him the backstory? Did you have to say, I am you when you are not you? <laughs> no, thankfully he knew. He knew. See, our, our worlds had been converging, ironically enough, for the last, I would say, five years. Around the time that I did Kung Fu Panda, The Pause of Destiny for mm-hmm. Amazon, which was released on Amazon, that show included Mitch Watson as the executive producer, as well as a, an actor named Michael Rivkin, both of whom are still very close friends of Jack's. So it was Kung Fu Panda Project. Our worlds were already starting to combine. Those guys were talking me up to him and relaying his feedback to me. And it had just it was just a matter of time before we finally got to meet. Oh, so. I love it's that. It's super cool. It's it was amazing. very cool. Yeah. What a cool job. And so you'd only been here like four years when that opportunity. When that opportunity you, came up. Yeah. Thank J-A-T. you, James. <laughs> Jat. Yeah. I love Jat. Thanks. Thank you, Jat. Once more. Yeah. I mean, I'd only been here for four years and, wow. you know, back in the, I'll just call them the ministry days. I was thinking, you know, I was just going to come in and start booking gigs because I had had some voiceover experience. I was guy number two in a Got sure. commercial. So why wouldn't I. Yeah. And then I realized what it really is. When you get to the Los Angeles market, I don't care what your previous experience is, unless you're a bona fide celebrity or some sort of talent who's already made a, a name for yourself in a major market, mm. you have to pay dues when you get here, regardless of your experience yeah. level. I don't mean just to the fellow community theater types like I was, but even if you're a pretty big name, you, you're still an unknown quantity until you're not. And as an unknown mm. quantity... Regardless of your age, experience level, education, you've got to get in there until people know who you are. And the world has exploded, the world of animation Mm -hmm. and the amount of people that work in here. So, you know, if it used to be easy to know these three production houses in the 60s and now everything is just, it takes a while. It takes even longer to to get known or have your work out there. Mm -hmm. Now, you're a coach, you're a voice acting coach. So you coach, do you coach beginners, advanced? to everything in between? I do in private session, meaning like one-on-one via mm-hmm. Zoom, I will coach any skill level from brand newbies to experienced pros. And I've had the blessing and the benefit of being able to work with all different skill levels. Those who are brand new to the process, sometimes I get to I get to be that person that, that says, I love your passion for this. And it's going to take some significant investment beyond you and me sitting here working on some character sides for you to really make it in this business the way you'd like to. Other times I get to be that guy that says, wow, why aren't you in Hollywood right now? You need to get working and here's how we put it together, a demo and that kind of thing. It's a fascinating Mm. seat to be able to sit in. Uh, One of my favorite things I'll even say about the screening I was just at with Jack is that they were doing one of the cast members. How can I say this without violating NDA? One of the cast members who I cannot name at this time, but maybe I'll come back and tell you, (laughs) is an established voice actor who basically only done commercial and narration and and was typically cast uh, according to her ethnic background. She booked a major part in animation and I had specifically coached her on the audition. Oh my gosh. And so watching her, I got to see some of her work animated and I was more proud of that than anything I was involved with, with the project. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's 
my friend, that's my student. She sounds so good. Oh, <laughs> so great amazing. to be able to, to walk through some of those milestones with people and, and see people that have coached with me go on to do amazing things. Yeah. So, and people that, you know, I you know, have made demos for, watch them go on to lead shows and, and that kind of thing. It's super cool. It's kind of a magical thing. Voice of awesome. Is that, was it awesomeness or I think, that was yeah, your tagline? Because, because of the, the show, the Kung Fu Panda show was Legends of Awesomeness. So mm-hmm. at the time I was like, voice of awesomeness. awesomeness yeah. But since, I mean, I've been Iron Man and Heimerdinger and all these other things. I'm like, mm, maybe I don't want to just peg myself as Jack Black. I mean, not yeah. that being Jack is a bad thing. Right. It's pretty awesome. But, but you, it's it's not all you do. Correct. Your work encompasses so much. Let's talk a little bit about Arcane. Yes. Wow. What was it like working on that show? My gosh, that was one of the best sessions or sets of sessions, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And you can appreciate that as a fellow actor, like they let us come into the studio. And even though we were only recording one-on-one, they gave us the time and the space that the session wasn't overbooked. It wasn't real grindy. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. okay, give me three in a row. Give me three more in a row. Okay. Three more in a row. We're going to talk. Hold on one sec. Because sometimes your session's like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's very much like, we just got to get in, get out. I'm doing some voice directing right now for Disney Junior. And Mm -hmm. our show tends to be, you know, scheduled very tight. We're Mm -hmm. working with young performers and we just got to get the read we need. And so sometimes, you know, as director, I just have to go, give me three like this. And then they parrot that back to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so on. But with Arcane, David Lyerly and his crew of casting associates, as well as Christian and Alex, who are the, the, the EPs of the show, Christian Link and Alex Yee, they were so committed to getting this realism mm. and this, these grounded performances mm-hmm. that they gave us lots of space. We would do a couple of takes of the scene. We'd go for different moments. David Lyerly, who was voice directing, he would come in and he'd go, you know, that was really good. And I'm not blowing smoke. I think that was a really good take. We're marking that one. I think you can do better than that. I want to go for even more realism. I want this to really hit home for your character. Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Let's try just one, one more pass and I'll read opposite you. So you have something to bounce off of. And it was such a collaborative experience. I was blown away when, I mean, I knew it was going to be special from the way that they handled it. Yeah. But when I saw the final product on Netflix, like this show is, I'm so proud to be a part of it. I'm so honored to be a part of this groundbreaking animation, storytelling and acting. There are definitely celebrity and some, a few celebrity, a few TV actor names associated with mm-hmm. it, but I, can in overall say I can reaffirm, you know, what what I've heard David say in press openings, like they didn't stunt cast to stunt cast. They were going for best performances. Mm-hmm. And some of those people happen to be doing other things on camera and whatnot. But everybody on that show is a fantastic actor. And I consider myself lucky to be yeah. a part of them. Tell us about your character. Professor Heimerdinger. So this is my favorite thing about Heimerdinger is that they told me coming in, he's this furry little creature called a Yordle. And this race of beings has the tendency to be very cartoony. And as many of your viewers might know, this is based on a video game. And in the video game, like broad cartoony line delivery has some room. There's Mm -hmm. room for that. But in this show, they wanted it super grounded and they were really concerned about whether they were going to keep Professor Heimerdinger, the Yordle, in the show. And they said it was just dependent on the actor that we got. We needed somebody who could do a high-pitched creature voice, but could also give him heart and make him feel like a real person. And so uh, Professor Heimerdinger actually sounds like this. He has a very high-pitched voice and is a bit uh, erudite the way that he talks. And he's all about science, very passionate about science. But he's also like lived through genocide and Holocaust and he's lived 300 years and he's got to 
have this worldview that encompasses longevity and joy and tragedy and, and relationships and all of these things that make a character a character. And to my credit, and again, it was a huge, like, this is one of those little treasures I'm going to keep in my heart for the rest of my life. Like I got a pat on the back on my way out of the audition saying we were looking for somebody who could make this character believable and human and not too cartoony. And that was our biggest worry. And we're not worried anymore. Oh, wow. It's pretty awesome. Amazing. Right? Amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know it's every feels. actor dreams to have those those kinds of moments where you you get that pat on the back that says you nailed that. Yeah, you nailed that. So that was kind of fun. So there is a lot of push these days towards more grounded or naturalistic yes. performances versus cartoony. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And it's something I've thought a lot about, especially mm -hmm. as a coach. Mm -hmm. Casting doesn't happen now the way that it used to. It used to when you came to the industry and I came to the industry back in the early 2000s, it was still very much the old school way of doing cartoons. It was like a group of people, maybe 50 to 75 people strong, and they did all the work in town. And they were going from two sessions in the morning to two sessions in the afternoon, and they were on everything. They mm -hmm. had to play grandmas and little kids and grandpas and monsters. And, and you just, your whole day was a utility player. Mm -hmm. And only really you strong utility players, with great acting chops could come to that table and get a seat. Mm -hmm. That was a prerequisite. Well, now with the confluence of all media to kind of this streaming format and with the sophistication of the audience level rising, mm -hmm. like more and more adults are watching animated fare like Arcane than ever before. In fact, Arcane isn't even a kid's show. Animation is finally getting its due here in the States and, and in Europe as, as a viable storytelling uh, medium for beyond kids entertainment. Because of that, the more sophisticated audiences are wanting more sophisticated performances. Mm -hmm. You know, having groupie dog talk like this is or you know, uh, that, <laughs> no offense, troops. Thanks. No, I mean, this is, this is groupie dog like this. Who is that? That was, um, uh, he was like El Cabong. He was the Hanna-Barbera guy, the horse. Oh, why can't I think of his name? You're going to get caught. Put in the comments if you know what character I'm talking about. <laughs> but having him like talk like this the whole time yeah. was not as necessary. And not only was it not as necessary, it could get in the way of an adult audience enjoying mm -hmm. what was being presented. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So that is why there's such a big change. You're getting more shows like What If on Family. Disney. Disney Plus where and, parents are watching it with their kids mm -hmm. and they're and they're watching the the actors being brought in from major motion pictures to reprise their roles in animated form mm -hmm. because it's meant for a general audience, not a not a kid audience. Mm -hmm. You will always have kid style shows. You'll always have kids entertainment in animation. And there is room still to play big and play wacky and play fun. But a voice actor who's trying to get a seat at that table now has to have more acting chops than ever before, mm -hmm. which is the irony of me thinking when I first got to town that I'm not that great of an actor, so I'm just going to do cartoons and actually have to be a fantastic actor and have made that journey as an actor and as a coach to dive into those waters because so, that's what books. So what's your process like? How do you approach when you first get audition sides? How do you dive in? Uh, I look at the clock and see how much time I have. Yeah. No, but um, for real, probably. <laughs> right? Is it, yes. a, is it three days? Uh, sometimes it's like, oh, 9 a.m. tomorrow. Oh, wow. What time is it? 6 30. Okay. Less than uh, 12 hours. Great. All right. Well, let's see. Um, for me, it always starts in the way that I coach is it always starts with script. Script mm -hmm. is king first. Let the characters talk for himself or herself. See what you can see about the character in the sides. Then for those of you who have not ever gotten an audition, a set of audition sides, usually what you get is lines in either script format or in, you know, they're, they're called out in individual, like numbered lines, just the lines that you are responsible for themselves. And with that, you get this 
cover page called a spec or specification. And the spec gives you the character breakdown and it's either somebody in casting or, or a writer of the, from the show or both bending over backwards to tell you all they can about how they hear this character in their head. Mm. And the thing that I used to do that I think booked me out of several jobs is I'd read the spec first and I'd go, oh, they said she's, he, they said he's calm. Okay. So I just got to find a way to play calm mm. in all these, all these moments that they've given me on the sheet. And now I look at it and I go, okay, wait a minute. Let me just see what this, what happens in this scene, how these two people or three people or however many people react to each other, whether there's a sense of attention and the build and that kind of thing, and let the character speak for himself. Then if I have questions, I'll go back to the spec and you like nine times out of 10, Allison, mm. I kid you not. Most of the things that I would have read in the spec were self-evident in the way that the character carried themselves. In and the, you would in have been gilding the lily <laughs> trying to play them calm because right. that right. word is in your head. Exactly. Mm. So my process is now like, let this character speak for himself. Mm. One of the things that my teacher and mentor, Pat Fraley, taught me is give yourself permission to read things like a fifth grader first. Just read them just, just to find out where the words go before you make any acting choices so that you don't have to undo your wrong choices in trying to do it correctly mm -hmm. when you discover, oh, that's not where the sentence ended. It was actually went on for three more paragraphs. Uh, got it. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> or something, yeah. So in that sense, I just read it neutrally out loud first. And then, depending on how much time I have, and then that actually gives me the letting the character speak for himself or herself. And then I start building the character from how I think they carry themselves in the scene and what that should sound like. And then I dive into what archetype they are. So, you know, if it's a lovable schlub character, I've certainly not, I've not been rem uh, reticent to, to jump in and start doing this at first and then seeing what else I could do, what other kind of lovable schlub kind of character is out there that fits mm -hmm. that archetype. So physicalizing what physicalizing, that ar archetype might right. feel like. Is he big? Is he small? I always look at the character art, see how they're drawn. It helps to know what the creator of the show has done in the past. Like if you get a JG Quintel show, I don't care if you're voicing a weird looking squirrel, it's going to sound like a regular person. He's just going to talk like this because this is how JG Quintel shows go. Mm -hmm. They just have normal people voices. <laughs> so you got to know a little bit about the industry that you want to work in. And that's part of that is the, the homework that you do when you don't have sides in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's like just being familiar with the, with the industry, but physicality is a big deal. Like I, we talked earlier about me starting with an underbite on my very earliest Jack Black impression. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes just the putting tension. A, the tension of your jutting your jaw forward yeah. and, and trying to still stay articulate. Like this is a great orc position. Master, I don't know what you mean, but I'm going to go kill the halfling. Uh, right? Yes. Like it gives you a certain tension and creatureness yeah. that otherwise you might not have had if you just used your mouth the way you're used to using it. So giving yourself, you know, imagining big teeth to work around. Like you've got huge incisors like this. And so I'm really, so now all my articulation sounds like this because my lips are being pushed out by my giant teeth that I'm imagining are there. <laughs> right? That's like great. that yeah. physicality, but it goes beyond mm -hmm. face too. Sometimes you got to give yourself this body. Bit, the, right? Yeah, the body. How does this guy carry himself? I was auditioning for something. Didn't get it, but I remember it was for, I think it was a John Constantine animated thing. I don't know if it was Justice League Dark or if it was just Constantine. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. But it was for Disney, or not Disney, sorry, uh, DC Direct, straight to video, 90 minute special movie. And there was a demon named Barul, and he was supposed to be this like demon of lust and greed and like 
creature comforts kind of a thing. Just all of your most salacious desires. Time cast again. Always, <laughs> always. Gosh, they live inside of us. <laughs> they know. They know. <laughs> I'm just a hedonist at heart. <laughs> but he was described as being big and massive, and I instead of picturing him as big and muscular, mm. giving him this like because I'm not that voice. If you if you want that guy, you're going to get David Sobolov, and he's going to he's going to kill it. He's mm-hmm. going to knock that out of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm not that guy. So what could I give them that was evocative as an option? Mm. And I came up with this very, like, you know, I tried to give him jowls, you see. Uh. You let the mask breathe. With, and, and I pictured myself as being very, very fat. Like <laughs> a very fat demon. Because he has this scene with John Constantine where he's talking about how he's he's standing in front of this pool of human souls that looks like blood. and Because it's all in hell, right? So he's like, oh, yes, the water was fine today. There's nothing like a good bath. And just, just the <laughs> oh, carrying. Oh, I love this guy. Yeah, carrying <laughs> myself like I was that wannabe sophisticated. Like mm. the guy who was really grimy, but thought he was, uh, yeah, you know, almost the like fat rolls in the back. Yeah, of his oh, neck. yeah, exactly, exactly. And what so, is living in there? And and imagining that and letting that affect my physicality changed my voice because I wanted to start to match what that would sound like. You see, yeah, and you know, really getting nice and throaty with it because you know it's very lusty. You see, <laughs> and this sounds very you know evocative. It's very you know, into being, um, shall we say, um, uh, sensual. <laughs> and oh it's gross. And it's, I'm having it, nightmares. It should be gross because <laughs> yeah. this, this character is a nightmare. He's like a gross demonic entity. And I, that's what hit me. And that's what I auditioned because yeah. that's how I saw it in my head. And that's how it changed my physicality. Amazing. So. That guy's going to live in something soon. Who he is. He's coming, believe he's you, coming believe back. Believe you me. He's coming back. Don't worry. And you just announced a new role. <laughs> um, roll. Joker <laughs> on Bat Wheels. Can we hear what he sounds like? Uh, I cannot release that yet until yet. Til the it show airs. But yes, I get to play the role I've obsessed about since 10th grade when the 1989 Batman film came out. Uh-huh. Oh, that was such a good movie. It was so good. So, but now this isn't the first time you played an iteration of the Joker. Mm, it is. I mean, officially. Oh, didn't you have like a small role as like a little, hold on. Let me see. Nah, nah, ah, ah, I know what you're thinking of. Oh, Joker security guard. Yeah, I was a security guard that got killed by the Joker. And, <laughs> and uh, Oh, you were killed by the yes, Joker. Yes. So Joker security Arkham. guard was not actually. No, yeah. <laughs> no, it was not. A jo- it was not the Joker. It was the guy assigned to the Joker. It was like, uh, uh, the Joker's not in his cell right now. And, uh, red alert, red alert. <laughs> And that's what it was. It was like you were touched by the Joker Mm -hmm. and then you later came to embody him. Yes, absolutely. But I will say, like I posted online, I was speaking about my Instagram earlier. Like when I finally got to announce the fact that I booked this role because DC announced it. I posted pictures the October after my after the film came out in 89. I dressed like the Joker for Halloween and it was a it was the biggest cosplay undertaking that I'd ever done. Like I made my (laughs) own costume. I I mean, back in the days of writ dye and a a washing machine. Okay, we're not talking about buying purple fabric and and fabricating it on your Twitch stream in front of an audience. I'm talking like you find thrift store handoffs like white nurse's pants and a lab coat and you throw it in the washing machine with some purple writ dye yeah, and cross baby. your fingers that it's going to come out. Uh, and I made my own Joker costume back in the day what? and had family helping me. Thank you, Aunt Claudia. Will you send that? I feel like we need to insert that photo here. So yes, will I will send absolutely that to me and we'll send that have to my you. editor pop that in. I will absolutely send that to you. Wow. So, so literally I, you manifested I manifested a dream come it. true. That was That's your, right. That was your 
10th grade vision board. <laughs> mm-hmm. My 10th. And I didn't even realize that it was my vision board, but it was. I was obsessed wow. with that character. Amazing. Because um, it was only a couple of years after the the seminal comic book came out, The, the Killing Joke, which was written mm-hmm. by Alan Moore. It's like the Joker graphic novel, as it were, although it's pretty slim. But it's a Batman story with a Joker story. And I think I was too young to really understand what it was all about. I understand it now about how like one bad day can turn you into the Joker. Basically. Well, we're all living through it right now, aren't we? Wow. I'm surprised there's <laughs> not more of us out there with <laughs> green hair. Yes. Yeah. So needless to say, that was a big deal. I was obsessed with the character. And the one I posted on it on social media, I was like, how it started, how it's going. Oh. And the how it's going is the, the character art that they released for the Joker on Batwheels. So now, this is a fun. show for kids, though. This is a so Joker probably is not as scary as no, the many no, no, incarnations. No, no, no. Yes. Yeah, uh, here's what I, I usually say is that this is your kinder, friendlier, funnier, Joker, funnier. He really leans into more of a Cesar Romero than a Mark Hamill. But I definitely in my my version is based very much on on Hamill's performance and trying to pay homage to the Jokers that have gone before. Um, but he's definitely clown prince of crime. He's not psychotic psychopath. He's just out there having a good time in clown makeup and making bad puns and doing silly things yeah. and trying to give That's Batman a run for his money. Yeah, Batman. Why Seriously. Don't you get a, why don't you get all the good stuff? Right? Huh? Exactly. Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> now, you also do a lot of Iron Man. You That's true. Iron Man on a number of different shows. Can, Thankfully, yes. How did, how did that come about, the very first casting? So, most of the big things that I've gotten, I've been fortunate enough to book out of the booth. And then sometimes that leads to repeat performances. And then that goes on to other things. But this is one of those situations where they had an animated Iron Man locked in an actor had been playing him for the last few years. And I uh, and they had a project that he was unavailable for. So they just opened up the casting doors on a very I mean, it was it was a one off. It wasn't an official Avengers thing. It just it was like for kids. Again, it was for little kids. It was called uh, Marvel Superheroes Frost Fight. And because it was open, I was like, of course I want to audition for Iron Man. And if I'm going to audition for Iron Man, I'm going to do the Iron Man I like, which is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So, so I just took a couple of the lines and, and found the Robert music and added it to the lines. That was like a three sentence or three line casting sheet. It was, that's it. Wow. Really small. Callback? Uh, no. Direct wow. at a booth. So that's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, the lines, he, it was about playing him cocky. And I picked up on the fact that Robert does this kind of upscoop when he's being clever and he thinks he's clever, mm-hmm. at least when he thinks he's clever as Iron Man. And so I added one of those so that he said the thing, I don't know why you would think that, but I can see it kind of a thing and did that. So and good. somebody in casting loved it yeah. and said, we want this guy. And so I got in. Uh, they had me on Frostfight. It was really fun to record. I was in with like Tom Kenny and Matt Mercer and gosh, Laura Bailey and gosh, who else? Uh, Travis Willingham. Like this, all these people who had been doing Marvel forever. And then they, I just got a call again at my agents. Marvel Animation wanted me to do something for Lego because they were doing a Lego Marvel special. So they called you, right? So they called and were like, we'd love to have you do Lego Iron Man too. I'm like, I would love to do that. And again, over the course of time, I started refining my Robert Downey. So again, it's about placement. Like for Jack, the placement stays the same, but the articulation changes. For Robert, the placement kind of goes up into the nasal passages here. He's also got kind of a flat delivery like that. But what really makes a Robert Downey Jr. impression stand out is not just when he goes up in speaking like that, but also the fact that he can take a break from saying something, then come back and say the rest of it really fast like that. (laughs) 
good. So when are you going to meet Robert Downey Jr. now? 14 more years from now. <laughs> 14 more years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a once a 14 year cycle of celebrity encounters. Oh, so. cool. Well, but yeah, that turned into auditioning for What If? And I did go through a callback process on that. And that has been a dream to actually be part of the MCU yeah. with actors like Sebastian Stan and, oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh, why can't Samuel L. Jackson? I'm sorry, I'm getting old now. And so my brain is starting <laughs> to like fritz. I need to eat more brain food. More salmon in my Salmon, diet. more salmon. But anyway, Sam Jackson, sharing the screen with him, sharing the screen with, you know, big, big names who, Chris Hemsworth, who had mm. done Zoe Saldana. Like I have several scenes with Zoe Saldana as Gamora. And are you guys uh, in the booth individually? So individually. are you hearing, you're not hearing each other's performance? Every once in a while, they'll bring the in a select... But, you. but most of the time it's the director mm-hmm. working with the director. That's yeah, how that's so much of animation is recorded yeah. these days. Yeah. It's unfortunate because it's always better to record in a group. Yeah. And, and do you, do you see that? How do you see that moving forward? I mean, it kind of feels like we're not going back, but as maybe the pandemic potentially gets under control, well, a there's more. a glimmer of hope that I can talk about mm-hmm. having been involved with some of the production on a show called big Nate for Nickelodeon. Oh yeah. I didn't know you're ago. involved in that yes, too. Lo- are you on big Nate? No, no. But Ben and Arnie came in the show. Oh, I love Ben and Arnie. They are all about Big Nate. Yeah. So So what they may or may not have told you is that Big Nate was recorded remotely for a long period of time and they would still do multiple and group sessions and bring us all in via technology Uh through the Nick engineering board. So we'd all have separate feeds going into Nick. They'd have an engineer who is a magician recording us and mixing it on the fly. And we were still group recording, even though we were remote. So that's a bit of a glimmer of hope. That's Mitch Watson made that decision, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch is fantastic when it comes to that. He gets it. He gets mm-hmm. animation. He gets cartoons. He gets how actors can play off of each other. When we did Pause of Destiny, he brought us in in groups to record. It was usually me and the four kids who were the kid pandas in the show. Mm-hmm. And then even when he didn't have characters that were in scenes together, they'd book him for two talent at a time in group sessions so that they could get that bounce effect, so that they could get yeah. the synergy of more than one actor in the room. So. Gosh. Mitch is great one like that. Yeah. So. yeah we had to have him back on. He's done it. He couldn't talk about Big Nate when he was on <sighs> the season before this. So You definitely need to have <laughs> need Mitch to have back, him back on. on. Oh my God. Mick, I could talk to you all day. I could it's talk so to you all day fun. too. It's so good to talk to you. It's so great to talk to you too. So now if we have any viewers that are like, hmm, I would love to coach with Mick. Mm-hmm. Are you still taking private clients? Do you have ongoing group classes? Where I, can people get more info? They can always get more info at mickwingert.com. Ah. Convenient little website that has all Cute. my stuff on it and and a way to, to not only contact me directly through a contact form, but also it'll click you over to my Calendly page, which is how I do all my scheduling. Amazing. I may not have the availability that I used to yeah. because I'm pretty in demand That's a good days. thing, folks. Working actors But if I, can, if I can fit you in and my schedule works with yours, uh, whatever skill level you're bringing to the table, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to work I've coached with, you. with I coach with Mick on occasion and uh, just always great to get a, an outside perspective on your work and you are also so knowledgeable about the industry and different styles. So you always have such great information and a director's I, because it that. is a collaborative process. Nobody expects you to record. I think I've only had one job ever where they were like, just send in the files. And I was like, no, no! <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
God help you us. Tell me. Share. You know, it's, it's, it is a shared experience. What do, what do I do? You know, we're not just in our rooms. 100%. You know, being our thing. So. Yeah. Like I have a, I know we're rapping, but I have an audio drama podcast. That, <gasps> Let's talk uh, about that too. But yeah, we got it. The Hidden Frequencies. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's audio style, like in the Twilight, style of a Twilight Zone. So it's audio Ooh. horror, 30 minute episodes. But when I record, I try to bring them in for groups. I try to, pr try to bring my whole cast in. Yeah. Either in pandemic times, it was remotely through technology or, you know, and then have them send in their files, but be reacting to one another in the, in the zoom space or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But before that, when we were recording our first episodes, we were in studio all together wow. and the synergy was happening and all that stuff. And super fun. We've got, we've got 14 episodes that are out that have been out since like 2018. And this late this summer, we're launching into 10 brand new episodes. Oh my God. Where are you so, in the production process with that? Got three or four that are almost done. Oh and we've got two that are in the casting process. And then a few more that I've just got to get busy on. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, as another fellow podcaster, I can completely relate. You get it. You know, this well, as soon as you get the system down, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. But when you're doing other things and juggling, it's, it's not easy, but it's not. where can we hear your podcast? The podcast is called the hidden frequencies. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the hidden frequencies, all one word.com, you should be able to find our feed. Amazing. It'll either take you right to the we'll pod put a bean. link in the show notes too. Awesome. It'll take you right to the link, the, the pod bean hosting space, or we also have a, a website site that sometimes traffic gets directed to as well. So Great. either way, you can listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all your favorite places, as well as any podcasting app with an RSSS feed. So, And you also do personal appearances do. and signings at different conventions. Do you have anything coming up? You're, uh, this episode is actually coming out next week. Perfect. That's how quick we I have love it. to Look, turn it This around. is an efficient ship. Um, <laughs> Not usually. <but laughs> we usually have a little bit of a buffer. I'll take it. We are, yeah, turning this one around quick. Perfect timing for to announce my involvement at AVOX, which is being put on yeah. by PCB Productions Amazing. over at the Pasadena Convention Center. All weekend long, the Independence Day weekend at in Pasadena. Tickets are still available. And again, it's a three-day event. It's all voice actor centered and it's going to be more than 150 of us cast members That's doing amazing. all kinds of different panels and experiences and, and games and signings and all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited about that one. That one's coming up. Amazing. Great. And I'm sure probably following you on your social channels is the best way for people yep. to at Mick Winger everywhere at Mick Winger baby at everywhere hey, uh, concerts are sold to be the only Mick <laughs> Mick in the game I'm so. not the only Winger but I am the only Mick <laughs> I'm actually not even the only Mick I'm but I am the only Mick, Mick Winger <laughs> well thanks for coming out Mick we so thank appreciate you. it thank you guys all so much for watching uh, be sure to subscribe and share this with a friend if you like it and hey I'm gonna make a big ask why don't you go ahead and leave a comment like you know a review on our podcast page so more people can get to hear the podcast yes and thanks for being fans we appreciate it Mick you. you're the best we'll see you again soon anytime bye guys bye Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.